All right, here we go. One, two, three. Um, I'm going to give you one of the things I've, I've noticed in talking to people is they wake up in the middle of the night. And uh, I spent a couple hours on a Zoom with John Kleinig this week, and we've talked about this, um, about how that time can be made useful. And in previous times, that was received as a gift and a blessing to be able to be up in the middle of the night and pray. And so what I'm going to probably do is give you, at the beginning of each of these, if I can remember, I'm going to try to give you some short prayers that you might recite, you know, 25 times or a thousand times uh, to do some good and eventually put yourself back to sleep. I think you remember from the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me. The idea was to say it 10,000 times a day to start. Right, and then progress from there. So um, uh, here's my. Just so you know, I have my, I have my beat from Camp Arcadia. So uh, you know, you can figure out what you want to do. But in any case, this is a very kind prayer from Avalokarius the Great. And later, I'll 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 tell you more about him. But so let's let's pray just this to start. Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. And so uh, it's interesting because. When he gets under pressure, this prayer shortens itself to, Lord, help. Two words. It's remarkable stuff. But some of the old desert fathers and mothers were really geniuses about how to uh, live their lives and to live their lives in mercy and also in hope. That's, that's where I want to want to go with all of you. So if you find yourself awake tonight in the middle of the night, you might, uh, you might memorize this before you go to bed. It's not hard. Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. And there's the great confession in that, that the Lord actually does will good for you. And he actually knows all about what's happened to you in the past and what will happen to you, to you in the future. And that the primary way that he will deal with you, or perhaps a better even to say the all-encompassing way that he will deal with you is to have mercy on you. And the conclusion of the story tonight will be that will make hope possible for you. So um, I just begin with the introduction. And this, as you know, um, I wrote the description and then I took it down and then I rewrote it and it's been rewritten again because things have changed so quickly. But in these very strange times, I actually want you to think about this half hour together as a, as a bedtime story. I actually want to pause you there for a moment and uh, have you think about the power of stories. I've read uh, for, for, for more than a year, for almost two years, I've been anticipating this Bible study. It's morphed in a couple of ways. I don't have you know, that much time left with you, with you all, and I don't have that many Bible studies um, perhaps left in me uh, in my time with you. And so I always try to think about what is it that the congregation needs or what's the greatest, what's the thing that could prompt us in the best direction. But I have noticed this incredible uptick in anxiety over the past few years and all of its manifestations. And with that has come the uh, unsolicited and sometimes um, recommendations about how we might deal with that. And I literally have two file boxes full of articles and emails and ostensible yours stacked up in my room part of the reason to you know start this was so that i didn't have to put any more in the box 
But one of the things that seems to be true, and I think as Christians, you all would confess, is the stories have incredible power over us. Now, sort of baseline, if you're just normal Lutheran type, um, you have this great confession that the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. And certainly Jesus expresses that spirit when he tells us stories. So in our background, we have sort of great confidence in that. But we also, if you, if you read um, psychologists, if you read military people, if you read co- basketball coaches, if you read and listen, they regularly talk about the power of stories. Four or five different times, somebody has published um, stories about the preparation of Navy SEALs. It comes differently. And I, you know, um, I need somebody like a Nyquist who, who jumps out of a plane and hits the water and smokes a cigarette. If there was a guy around like that, that's the kind of guy I'd need to ask questions from. But, you know, regularly when I read about the, the, the way the military uh, or the way the SEALs work is they have some cadence that goes, um, see it, say it, think it, do it. And I've read it in different orders. Uh, and I'm not curious enough to, you know, go to SEAL training to really figure it out. But this whole notion of telling yourself a story Regularly, people have uh, a story inside their head. Regularly, uh, people are talking to themselves all the time. But the story you tell yourself is quite defining. And I would suggest to you that the story that you tell yourself as you go through life will really define whether or not you live in hope or whether or not you live in despair. What I don't want to do in this time together is lapse over into psychology or motivational speaking or even the imagination of poetry. I went to pastor school. I didn't go to poetry school. But I see these connections in all different places. So I may make reference to them, but at the end of the day, I'm going to come back to the stories that Jesus tells you. So in these very strange times, um, Jesus tells us stories. So just kind of back, I look at this. This is great. This is just like Sunday morning. I've done one sentence. It took six minutes. Don't worry. I'm sure that I'll get through with all of this. So in these very strange times, think of this Bible study as your virtual bedtime story. As something to help us sleep a bit more soundly in this startlingly anxious time. Almost everybody I bump into uh, is a little shaky. Anxiety is natural. It's quite real. It's common. Everybody gets it. It's like fear. Everybody gets it. It's like anger. Everybody gets it. But it often leads us to needless pain because it submerges us so deeply in worry and in fear. So you can see the sequence there. Something happens that um, causes us some fright or some reaction or some fear or some anxiety um, you know, worry is just, is just low grade fear, right? Anxiety is just, it's just low grade fear. It's not quite there. It's like running a, a little bit of a temperature, but if you run it all the time, things are always off. And as it gets worse, you know, it, it comes, it becomes painful for us. One of the things that Jesus offers is another way through life. And now this is just the simple thing I want to do. Tell you stories about mercy that lead you into hope. So that's the paradigm. Mercy, 
and um, mercy and then hope. Like story, mercy, hope. That's the paradigm, right? And the more often you remember the stories, the more often you tell these stories to yourself, um, the more calm you become, the more encouraged you become. And frankly, the more, uh, the better you are as a witness to other people. So I'm not sure exactly which way we'll go. I actually have a story for you tonight, which is not uh, a biblical story, but in every sense, it's a biblical story. But I want to read through it with you. And I want to see if you can pull up the elements of what's happening in that story. Uh, just under full disclosure, and I said this in a sermon a few weeks ago, um, you know, you, you've been around me a little bit, so everything has to have a definition that's very crisp or very short. Uh, so, you know, kind of working definitions for what we're doing. Love, in this case, I've often said to you, to love is to do good. That's still a valuable definition. But you might also think of um, love as mercy applied to misery. Okay, so love is when mercy is applied to misery. And hope, then, is welcoming the future. If you think about what hopelessness is, hopelessness is to dread the future. Right? Hope is to welcome the future, just these simple things. Now, these aren't exhaustive, and you know you may not be able to fit every piece together with every other piece, but they'll get you, you know, 95% of the way where you want to go. So just kind of think about this. Love is mercy applied to misery. Hope is welcoming the future. And um, when that mercy is applied to us, it gives us hope. If you've been with me in the past, you remember that we've talked about how once we once once or twice we've talked about the virtue of humility. And I've given you the reminder that you can't um, hit humility by aiming at it. So if you if you want humility in your life, you aim at memory, you aim at story, you aim at the memory of what God has done for you, and you realize that you're dependent. And that dependent that dependence then automatically manifests itself in humility. In the same way, um, I'm not sure that you aim at I, I'm not sure that you hit hope by aiming at it. You hit hope by aiming at mercy. And so that's the title. Um, you know, I, I, the, the title I needed to write, hope was really the primary thing I wanted to talk about as the flip side of anxiety. But the cure is actually mercy. Um, if you want hope, you aim at mercy, right? And so merciful stories uh, offer burgeoning hope. That's the way that this is going. Now, I'm all the way to point number one now after that long introduction. You still with me? You still awake over there? I'm a little nervous to look through the pictures to actually see what's happening. Although I should, I guess I should, if part of this is about getting a good night's sleep, if you decide to start at 841, that's probably a victory, right? So I'm at, I'm at point number one, and uh, there's nothing in the chat. If you want to ask a question in the chat, you can pop it up there, but I can't get enough of you on my screen to see hands go up or anything, so you have to let me know. So we live in this very anxious world. People are afraid all the time. The world is on edge. Um, I was struck in the last financial crisis, the pre-GameStop financial crisis. Um, I saw several interviews, as many of you did. And then I realized that Hank Paulson, who was the Secretary 
uh, Secretary of the Treasury and Warren Buffett were sort of, I saw this and I saw it again, then I saw it again. I thought, ah, they're on kind of a whistle stop tour to calm everybody down. But in the midst of that was this very interesting quote, which I've given to you. Confidence is like oxygen. When it's there, nobody thinks about it. When it's gone, it's the only thing people can think about. And I found that to be um, remarkably true. We live in a world that really does lack confidence. Uh, and so the opposite of that is everybody's anxious and all they do is think about ang- is anxiety all the time. People, I mean, I, I have spent my entire COVID pastorate from early in the morning till late at night on the phone or on emails with people who are extraordinarily anxious. It's, it's 80% of the time I, I've spent with people and not just, not just parishioners. This is people who get referred to me, young pastors, um, older folks who are kind of blowing up. It's, it's been just this remarkable thing. Now I've turned the page to point number two. This is um, not anything that's new for us though. One of the really things that is interesting about us since the fall is we have this echo of perfection. And you can see it in everything from um, the sin of scrupulosity, where everything has to be perfect, to uh, the idealism of athletes who uh, just want to die if they don't win, um, to you know lawsuits that sue uh, because things aren't perfect. Um, Kirby and I know uh, a baby doctor who once told us a story who said um, she was in a bit of despair because she had just agreed to take on a new couple. And um, I think there's a, a some sort of law or rubric that if you take on a couple, you can't discharge them easily. And she was a, a bit undone because as soon as she agreed to take the couple on, The father leaned in and said, I just want you to know if this baby isn't perfect, we're suing you for everything you've got. Now, that's that's a remarkable display of anxiety, along with the notion that we still have this expectation left over from Eden that everything should be perfect. And we haven't really embraced the disorder in which we live. So I, what I've said here is history can be written as our story is of dis- we start again. History can be written as the story of our dissatisfaction. And that dissatisfaction, it can manifest itself in simple things like worry and anxiety or despair, but it also manifests itself as hate and oppression and war. And we're kind of living in a whole world filled with this now, with disorder, which has classically been one of the ways that we describe sin. And behind that sin, as you all know, is our pride. So um, we aren't very good at life because we aren't very, very good at being God. You know, simple first commandment stuff. The temptation in Eden was, um, I think I'd be a better God than God. Uh, And with that, the world breaks apart. We're just not very good at it. And so we're jumbled and we try to put ourselves back together again. And we chase comfort and we self-medicate and we search for truth and we see gurus and we chase, um, you know, other solutions and we touch darkness and we, we, we just, we would do anything to make ourselves better. And yet, you know, it never really gets better. 
And for you who are philosophically inclined, you know, point number three, all the way to Camus, there's only one really serious philosophical question, and that is suicide. I mean, that was where, you know, the the height of existentialism in the last century. Um, He won the Nobel Prize at 44, um, you know, died in 1960. So already the question is, is, you know, is, is life so hopeless that there's nothing worth living for? So that's how the world then stacks it up. We've fallen from this perfection. We always have that disorder with us. It agitates us. It expresses itself in alienation and oppression, in hatred and in war, in, dis- in dissatisfaction and self-medication, uh, you know, in addictions and psychosis and trouble. Um, uh, thanks, Vic. Um, and so uh, the question is, you know, is hope possible? And I'm all the way to four. And you can see when I, when I talk with my hands this much, it's very difficult to touch the mouse and move the um, screen down. So Vicar, you know, occasionally you may have to flag me, right? So there you go. Um, and the Vicar loves you enough that he'd be able to get you a copy of this if you needed it. So at point four, is hope possible? Now, um, it is, and what I want to read you next is a remarkable story of hope. Um, If you know the history or if you've heard a little bit of the history of missionaries who went to Asia, it was spectacularly successful and extraordinarily grim. So I regularly in new members class, if you've been through, I use the example of the missionaries in Japan and what happened to them and how the church was driven underground. A hundred years later, the same thing happened uh, in Vietnam. And so, you know, this very large persecution that went on for 250 years. And there is one Memorial Day in the church where um, many of the Vietnamese martyrs were celebrated. But I want to read you a piece then, and you can take this as your story for tonight from St. Paul uh, Lebautin. So, um, and I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to annotate this story as I read it to you. But then in the following page, I've sort of listed perhaps more clearly, or at least on a different reading, the things that you can take away and think about as you go. But what I want you to think about is this interplay between anxiety and hope, between fear and hope, between misery and hope, between disorder and hope. And I want you to ask yourself how it's possible for this person in these circumstances um, to carry on and not just to carry on but to be almost ecstatically joyful. Now, this guy is not naive. You know, he he is executed in 1857. So the persecution in Vietnam has been going off and on for a couple of hundred years. You know how this is the same thing that happened with Christians during the Roman times. It's how the wind blows. You might get some time when you're a bit free, but then all of a sudden... You know, I just I just read uh, the story of one of the church fathers this morning who was martyred during a feast of Dionysius. You know, people had a bit too much to drink. And what do you do? You kill the local bishop. You know, he thought it was okay. And then 
So here we go. Just kind of think about this. Okay. Just under the notion of, you know, is hope possible? So think about the power of the story. Uh, now he's just to set this up. He's an old man now, an old pastor who is writing this to young students at the seminary. You could imagine what this is like. He's in prison. They're under persecution. Um, he knows this is not going to go well. There are still people in the seminary. And you have to, you know, what kind of a young person goes to seminary uh, when they know uh, after ordination is execution? Right. So what's what kind of story could anybody tell that would let people um, carry on? So I, Paul, in chains for the name of Christ, which you could substitute as for the story of Christ, wish to relate to you the trials besetting me daily. So this is day in and day out. In order that you may be inflamed with love for God and join with me in his praises, for his mercy is forever. Now I've given you the annotations. What's interesting is as he speaks, the scripture sort of just comes out naturally. And it's not he who runs the scripture. It's that the scripture is running him, right? Everything he has is sort of flowing out of the Psalms. And there's this old, old phrase among pastors that if you haven't prayed the Psalms regularly, you have never really suffered. And I've actually found this to be true. People who have really suffered have somehow found their way to the Psalms every day. So think about this. The very first thing he says is, my trials should lead you to love. My trials should lead you to praise. It's remarkable stuff. The prison here is a true image of everlasting hell. To cruel tortures of every kind, shackles, iron, chains, manacles, so the physical torture, are added and now the spiritual and psychological torture are added, hatred, vengeance, calumnies, so gossip and lying about other people, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, as well as anguish and grief. I once, I once spoke to a man who'd been some years in prison, and I asked him what the hardest thing was that he had faced. And he said to me, for 10 years, it was never quiet. So you can sort of imagine the kind of disorder that's going on here, right? So you never know what's next. You're, you're tortured emotionally and physically uh, and spiritually. You're always on edge. Now the story. But the God who once freed the three children from the fiery furnace... So, I mean, and I've said to you before, that's the Old Testament text for my, for my funeral. It's one of the best stories in scripture. How many guys are in that furnace? Three? No, there's four. But the God who once freed three children from the fiery furnace is with me always, right? So how do you have the sense? How do you have this sense of location, right? This is a story about the location of God. Where is God? God is with me always. That's the story, right? And you who are clever and have been around with me know that that's the precise point of, you know, um, 
what God does to us in baptism and the Holy Supper. He locates himself with us. He sticks with us. He has delivered me from these tribulations and made them sweet. For his mercy is forever. So somehow God is with me and somehow God is merciful to me. And somehow, even if I suffer, even my suffering is sweet. That's a very strange way. That's either, that's either, a, that's either a bitter lie or the truest thing a person can write. In the midst of these torments, which usually terrify others, I am by the grace of God, full of joy and gladness again now. Because I am not alone, Christ is with me. Now, literally, I mean, you ask yourself about your own anxiety, your own suffering. I would bet if you stopped a moment just to analyze it, you would say that you suffer because you feel all alone and unloved. That the first thing you say is not God is with me, but God is not with me, right? And that's the point of the story. That's the point of every story in scripture. There isn't any other point. That's it. That God is with me and God is merciful. That's it. That's the only story in scripture. Our master bears the whole weight of the cross, leaving me only the tiniest last bit. Now, you have to hear that in the right way, right? He does everything, but he lets me share in this. So often people ask me about their suffering as if their suffering is um, something to be solved. It might be something to be solved. It's possible. But, you know, we're sort of Western, mathematical, philosophical-minded problem solvers. There's a strong tradition of the church where suffering is a lesson, where suffering is um, an endurance, not just always that suffering has a solution. So um, somebody's commented on the side, yeah, his strength is make perfect in weakness. Yeah, it is. The thing is, is um, I want to see if I can move you off any philosophical or biblical formulation, because I can't always see, oh, it's John. Yeah. Um, one of the things about that is we have to move that uh, true thing into. So the question is, if God's strength is perfect in weakness, how do we keep that present in front of us as more than um, philosophically true, right? How do you experience actually that location all the time? So our master bears the whole weight of the cross, leaving me only the tiniest last bit. He's not a mere onlooker in my struggle, but a contestant and a victor and a champion in the whole battle. Therefore, upon his head is placed the crown of victory, and his members also share in his glory. And of course, you know that this is the story of the Easter Vigil. His story is my story. What happens to Jesus happens to me. How am I to bear with the spectacle, as each day I see emperors, mandarins, and the retinue blaspheming your holy name, O Lord, who are enthroned above with cherubim and seraphim? Behold, the pagans have trodden your cross underfoot. Where is your glory? Glory, you remember, is holiness. 
It's the holiness of heaven that's made visible on earth. So show me some holiness in the midst of this hell. As I see all this, I would, in the ardent love I have for you, prefer to be torn limb from limb and to die as a witness to your love. O Lord, show your power, save me, sustain me, that in my infirmity, your power may be shown. See, witness, right? Winsome witness. So sustain me so other people see this, and you may be glorified before the nations. Grant that I may not grow weak along the way. So you don't say, wow, I'm, I suffer, sin. I don't want to grow weak because I don't want to die. You say, I suffer, I don't want to grow weak because I don't want to be a bad witness. And so the long tradition of uh, martyrs who go smiling to their deaths. And so do not allow your enemies to hold their heads up in pride. Beloved brothers, as you hear this story, as you hear all these things, may you give endless thanks in joy to God. Now, so as you remember that I'm in hell and everybody's being tortured and psychologically it's really difficult and they trod on the cross and I'm always surrounded by people who are screaming and yelling and being tortured. As you hear all this story, go ahead and give endless thanks and joy to God. This is not how we normally think. From whom every good proceeds, because that's not our perspective on good. Bless the Lord with me, for his mercy is forever. The, the, the key here is mercy, then hope. Now the Magnificat from Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Listen, imagine this of a guy saying this, who's, who's going to his death. For he's looked on me with favor on his lowly servant. And from this day, all generations will call me blessed for his mercy is forever. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Acclaim him, all you peoples. For God chose what is weak in the world to confound the strong. God chose what is low and despised to confound the noble. You should always console yourself with the notion that you're playing a long game in a short world. This is Life is very short. Even if you live to be 80 or 90 years old, life is very short. Um, against the eternity in which you'll live. Through my mouth, he has confused the philosophers who are disciples of this wise world, for his mercy is forever. Now, the witness of mercy. I write these things to you in order that your faith and mine, together, right, may be united, the watchword of, you know, America since the 1st of January. In the midst of this storm, I cast my anchor toward the throne of God, the anchor that is the lively home in my heart. So I basically, I lash my fate to God's fate, tied to the mast, right? Beloved brothers, for your part, run so you attain the crown, put on the breastplate of faith, take up the weapon of Christ for the right hand and for the left. You can hear this old man talking to these young seminarians, right? What are we supposed to do? Well, here's what you do. It's actually doing these things. As my patron saint, St. Paul has taught us, it's better for you to end your life with one hour crippled, long game. Play the long game with all your members intact than with all your members intact to be cast away. Now, finally, pray for me. Come to my aid with your prayers 
that I may have strength to fight according to the law and indeed to fight the good fight, to fight until the end and finish the race. And finally, we may not see each other again in this life, but we will have the happiness of seeing each other again in the world to come. See, the story goes on. We may not see each other again in this life, but we will have the happiness of seeing each other again in the world to come. It's not so long. And when people have lost spouses or parents or even children, um, it's hard to say this, but you know the truth is, it's not so long. There'll be a day. When standing together, now, right together, I tied to the mast, I lashed to the throne of God, I having a little bit of the cross, I sharing in a little bit of the work, I together with the spotless lamb, we will together join in singing his praises and exult forever in the joy of our triumph. Amen. Um, I promised you nine o'clock, it's a little after, so I'm just going to push you to the very last thing. It'll take a while, um, even if you practice for this to come to you. But one of the things about a new habit is you just have to do it. You, you just have to do it. Now, I can't give you too much to do, especially if you're chronically anxious or if you live in fear. And, you know, your cure might not be complete. And... It does depend on going to church and especially going to the Eucharist or remembering your baptism. But if you're out of practice for that, then that can be a bit hard and you might not expect too much too soon. And you should remember that as soon as you begin to come hopeful, you'll draw fire. I had a long conversation with John Kleining this week. We spent over two hours with him. Um, Zoom is a beautiful thing uh, now. And one of the things we talked about was how um, the intensity of holiness is matched by the intensity of the demonic and, and difficulty. But then this from, you know, Elder Anthony of Optima. So, and this is simple. Anybody can do this. No matter what kind of bitterness befalls you, no matter what kind of unpleasantness happens to you, say, I will endure this for Jesus Christ. Just say it. See, all of you, you know, not all of you, but if you had initial reaction to that, like, I don't know, will that work? I don't know. Couldn't be sure. We tested this. You know, has it been through the FDA? And how many, you know, whatever happens to you, say, I will endure this for Jesus Christ. Just say it and it will be easier for you. So that's your homework. Just say it. So you have two bits of homework. One is, when you wake up in the middle of the night tonight and can't sleep, you just say, um, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. Now, if you say that, you just keep saying that over and over again until you fall back to sleep. It might be for some of you five or 6,000 times. That would be a little short of 10,000, but you'll still score heavily on your first exam here. So your first thing is um, you say, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy tonight when you can't sleep. And then tomorrow when you're troubled, you'll say, I will endure this for Jesus Christ. Just say it, and it will be easier for you. For the name of Christ is powerful, 
in his presence, right? You're cemented to him, Luther says, in his presence, all unpleasant events are quelled. Doesn't say cured. Quelled is just tamped down. Demons vanish. Your annoyance will abate, so it decreases gradually. And your faint-heartedness will be set at ease. So eventually that'll be sort of drained out of your heart, right? Your, your despair will be drained out of your heart. When you, and this is key, repeat. You know, you get, um, you, know, you, get, you get your beads and you repeat, right? You repeat as sweet as right? All right, there you go. Um, so what I'm going to do is pray for us and then uh, a little longer prayer just from um, Pete Ladick introduced me to this great book of uh, 2,000 Years of Prayer. It's glorious stuff. Uh, of how other people prayed, you know, it makes you, you think to yourself. Um, it's very, this is very, very nice. So let's pray. Then you can click off. I'll stick around and chatter for a little bit if you'd like. May the strength of God pilot us. May the power of God preserve us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the host of God guard us against the snares of evil and the temptations of this world and bring us to the next. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Can I make a comment? Of course. So I just want to, well, thank you for this. Um, even if you're not anxious, I, I've always found it's helpful to have kind of go-to things from scripture to fall back on when bad things happen. Yeah. No, it, it's true. Um, you know, the, the character of both the beginning prayer and the end prayer is, is exactly the same thing, right? And even that the first one gets abbreviated just to, in tough moments, it gets abbreviated to, Lord, help, right? And just this repetition. And often we, um, we're taught that repetition isn't so helpful, but it's unbelievably helpful. And, and people who make fun of the liturgy because they say, well, you're just sort of doing the same thing every week. What's really happening is you, you hit these different levels. You, you get to a particular place and then you sort of stall out. And then suddenly you get to a particular place and you stall. And the rosary, for example, is like that. These prayers are like that. You know, even this last thing, you just say, I'll endure this for the sake of Christ. That is not an easy thing to do, right? I'll endure this for the sake of Christ. But you're exactly right. You have to have a go-to thing. Right, you have to have a story to tell when um, you're surprised by life, especially when you're surprised by life. So, anyway, that's that's really good. Thanks. Something else out there? All right, my my encouragement to you is actually to, um, and I really mean this, just really um, the first and the last thing. See if you can memorize that little prayer, and when you're anxious, see if you can say it. And say it over and over again and see what happens to you. Just, I, I won't predict, but just, just see what happens. And, you know, in the past, we've talked about the spiritual, the rhythm of your spiritual life, being able to see when attack comes, being able to see when it lightens, what you do when you can't see over the horizon. We've talked about all those things in the past, but 
Um, what you'll find is that uh, relief will eventually come, but sometimes it can take longer. And it can take longer at the points actually when you're stronger uh, because the, the, the demonic attack is um, more intense in those places. So um, all I can say to you is, is keep going. Sometimes people don't want to pray or don't want to engage because they know that it will ramp up. Um, you know, the attack will ramp up on them. Yeah, but here's the thing. Then you've forgotten the story about Christ, who's the victor. You've forgotten the story of the resurrection. You've forgotten the story of the three men in the fiery furnace. You've forgotten the story of Jesus walking on the water. You've forgotten all these stories that are not, not uh, being afraid. All right, anything else? All right. <laughs> Love you, and I'll see you when I see you. Yeah.